All right. What I was about to say is I fully agree that idiosyncrasy or different perspectives on learning are really important. I've only come to realize this in the past few years, I think, in that, you know, the more you learn or teach yourself or things you read, the more you realize, you know, like you read five books on a topic and maybe the first four don't click. And then the fifth one, for whatever reason, you cannot even point it out. You cannot even say, oh, this does, you know, whatever. But it's just a slight shift in perspective that this book gives you and that suddenly makes things click, right? Recent example, this week, I was trying to learn Flexbox, you know, just out of curiosity. So I tweeted about this a couple of weeks back and people were sending me all of these links and they said, look at this, try this, read this. And they were all, you know, um, the ultimate guide to Flexbox, the, you know, the Flexbox cheat sheet whatsoever. And everybody was saying, I swear by this. And they were all different. So I read through, I think, three or four. And the first two, oh, yeah, I think I'm starting to get it. But then the third one was this interactive tutorial. And they just explained it in a way that immediately clicked with me from, I don't want to say first principles, but where others, for example, they um, they kind of skipped over the names. They said, oh, this is justify content and this is align items and this does this and this does that. But the third person, they were like, this is called this because here's the underlying mental model. This is called this because of so-and-so. And that just made it click for me. And it's, again, three different people having the same goal. I'm going to explain Flexbox once and for all ending up with completely different explanations. And now thanks to the internet, I can flip through, you know, the teachers and can see which one clicks for me. So do you think and if what, you had landed, if you had landed on that third one right away, would that have been sufficient? Or was it you were sort of introduced to a few different ways? You knew the yeah, terms. You, yeah. It's interesting. Good point. I, I think, I think the third one was, um, I, th I think, yeah, I, it, I would have gone further with the if I had started with the third one. And that's because it's just, you know, sometimes you read something and while reading, you have these questions pop up. What does this mean? What does this mean? Blah, 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 blah. And then sometimes you read something and every time a question like this pops up, the author answers it in the next paragraph. Hmm. And it's just, I think it's, you know, some minds work like this and other minds work like this. Some person needs a comparison to math. Another person needs a comparison to physics, you know, something else. And for me, it's basically, I don't know, a specific way of explaining things from the ground up, I guess. It's funny that you mentioned Flexbox specifically in this context, because I feel like weirdly Flexbox is like, just this really rich domain of people exploring different ways of explanation. Yes. Like there's Flexbox Froggy. There's like yeah, a Flexbox that's... game that you shoot zombies and stuff. Uh, <laughs> and then obviously people try to write the one definitive medium article. It's just like people are going to study Flexbox teaching <laughs> as, yeah. a, as a kind of pedagogical vein. So can but you, yeah, at like this point, come from different... I was going to say, can you center a div now? Um, I think I could look up how to okay. do it. I think, <laughs> okay. I think people say, this is how you send it there. I think I could look it up now. Yeah. Justify so, content center. I don't know. Something, something. Yeah. 
So were you, did you have this kind of feeling while you were writing your books? Like, did you feel like you needed to express your way of teaching this subject matter to a particular kind of audience? Or were you trying to make the one true, you know, text in this field? The first one, I think, um, you know, I'm looking at these books, uh, Apple, Modern Compiler Implementation in ML, uh, Engineering a Compiler, um, what else, Dragon Book down there. I think whenever I read them or try to read them, and I haven't read the com the Dragon Book, com you know, just bits and pieces, but whenever I tried to read it, I just couldn't get into a groove where I thought we're on the same wavelength. It was always, I'm missing something. Something here does not add up. Why do we do this? What's important? What's the ultimate goal here? Why would this be a thing? And I found that there was a lot of other resources, um, blog posts, you know, tutorials, as you call them, um, that were completely opposite end of the spectrum. And they would explain, let's build a little toy interpreter, let's build a little toy, you know, language. And the goal was clear. The goal was, let's build this, look, we can type in eight times four, whatever, plus three, look, you know, how it uses the operators and whatnot, and the correct result comes out. But I was missing things in the middle that explained you know, here's, here's what we want to do. Here's why we do this to reach this goal. And here's how to do it. And to give you a concrete example, there's this, um, I can't get the full title. I can't remember the exact title, but you, I'm sure you know this paper, the one paper, what an incremental approach to compiler construction, building a scheme in x86, something it's only four pages where you know, the author explains how to build a little scheme compiler in scheme, obviously, in just four pages. And they were saying, you just start with the primitives, you move this in register. Now we have numbers. Now we do this. And online, everybody was saying, read this paper, this paper. This is so simple. Build a scheme in scheme, build a scheme to x86 compiler in scheme. So simple. But I was reading this and it was just... You know, every little paragraph fell to me like the meme of draw the rest of the owl. Like, oh, yeah, you want to do numbers? Just move the number into the register. You're done. And for mm -hmm. me, it was, what? Now we do strings. And then it would, for example, say, actually, let's, I don't know if it says this specifically like this, but it would say we have to allocate them on the heap, right? And I would sit there and go, why do we have to allocate them? Why? Why do we have to do this? So then I found another resource where a person was implementing, like they had a full implementation of this paper, like the full code and not just the snippets and like the brushed off, you know, fill in the details, but the full thing. And just reading through this and comparing it, I could suddenly, oh, make sense and see, so this is why you do this. Okay, if we have this, this is what they meant with that. And... I had many of these experiences and I thought, you know, wouldn't it be great if somebody took all of the bits and pieces and without saying, let's skip over this or let's skip over that, just compiled them in a straightforward way and, and, you know, put it in a resource like a book or tutorial or whatever. Um, 
and yeah, I, I guess that's what I did. And and now looking back, um, I mean, it's been six. No, it's been eight, eight years. Jesus, um, but it's been a while. But looking back, I realized that even when I was I was fourteen years old, I was writing tutorials on online, you know, forums like how to use. For example, I think the first one I wrote was how to use Screen on a Unix machine. You know, the the precursor to Tmux. And like all of these tutorials. And I always loved this approach, this, here's what we want to do. And back then, you know, common thing was Photoshop tutorials. You know, everybody had their pirated copy of Photoshop 6. And then, oh, you want to use this, you know, you want to do a logo like this. Here's how you do it. And it's step-by-step, step, nothing left out. And then you could basically follow up and you could, go on side quests and find out why certain things work the way they want. And when you follow step-by-step, step, you always have the option to pause and kind of explore on your own, right? You're in step six of 10 doing something in Photoshop. You can just continue and play around and, you know, fiddle with the controls and see what happens. So I'm saying this because looking back, it, it seems like it, Maybe one thing led to another, like even 15 years later, but that I really like this style of learning, this show me something and feed me enough information to, to help me along, but leave me room to find my own, you know, to pull in more information as I see fit. Yeah. I, to me, it feels like, um, leaving those breadcrumb trails that you can go down mm -hmm. the sort of ur text that you're going that four page thing it didn't do enough in that regard yeah and you also i feel like there's a failure mode where it explains literally everything uh and you don't yeah. get to explore it on your own and i think oz you do a really good job of advocating for people to say like when you come to a point in the textbook you should maybe like put your hands over it and block and think about what it's going to say next rather than just reading the full thing because i know i've read I did this great book, um, how to make a dungeon crawler in rust. And it, I went through the whole book and I had an awesome game at the end. And I don't know that I, uh, I don't certainly don't remember how to write rust. And this was like a two years ago or something like that. And I think I was just too, I wasn't going on the side quest enough. It was just, oh, I want to make my character do X, Y, and Z. And I sort of linearly went through it where I wasn't really going, doing that recursive backtracking. I wasn't going on the side quest because I was just flipping through and making progress. And uh, I don't think it stuck. It, it did not stick. Yeah. I think... My favorite um, example of that is uh, Balaji Srinivasan. His approach uh, is to just do the problems at the end of the chapter before looking at the chapter. It's like, I've got a textbook. It's got exercises, whatever problems at the end. I'll just attempt the problems. Maybe I'm going to figure them out and maybe like I can skip reading the chapter if I, if I do that, mm. or maybe I'm going to figure it out and then look at how the author suggests doing it, or, uh, maybe I'm not going to figure it out, but that's going to motivate me to actually go through that material. And now I know, uh, that this is what I'm going to be able to do at the end, like, because I've made an earnest uh, attempt at that already. Uh, and, you know, in terms of like picking up different areas of particularly science in his case, uh, he was just like a machine. He just like mm. worked, worked through this stuff. And, uh, he was always like, well, you'd be surprised what you can already do. Like you could, you'd be surprised what you can take from one field and apply to another or what you might already know. And like this, this exercise is worth more than the kind of revealing That's... aspect of it. 
It's super interesting because to me, I know that doing the exercises is, I think, the most beneficial way of learning because you just, you know, repeat what you learned. You actually put it to use into, you know, into exercise. And I did this with um, uh, structured interpretation of computer programs. And I, I have to admit, I skipped a lot of that super mathy stuff. But a lot of the other things, implement your own map, implement your own fold, stuff like this. Um, I think that was really nice. But in general, and this is purely me, and it might be related to you know school, whatsoever, but I hate exercises in books because to me it's they create this weird sense of expectation and pressure and I feel like it's a it feels like a test to me oh you read this chapter proof you know prove that you actually read this and that you understood it and it I just you know shriek away from this and I think I don't want I don't want this because the best way for me or to get me to do something would be not to say, Torsten, I want you to do something. It would basically be to look somewhere else and say, it sure would be nice if someone could, or I bet nobody can do this, but hey, no pressure. You know, something like this. And it's <laughs> well, truly yeah, me. His, yeah, I, I, I had the same feeling, I think because of school, because we were always given specific exercises from the book yeah. to do. A lot of the time they were bad, like they weren't actually a good representation of the skill that we were trying to learn. Uh, but part of what Balaji is saying is that like you're going through this process for yourself of deciding whether you want to engage with this book based on yeah. what you're going to be able to do at the end. And so if you look at those exercises and you have this recoil effect of like, I don't, I don't want to do this or like this isn't what I'm trying to learn, then maybe that's not the book for you. Yeah. Uh, like maybe, yeah. you know, maybe you should come up with your own exercise and find your own resource or whatever. Or like you look at the exercise and you see, I, I kind of get where they're getting at. I'm not excited about that particular thing, but I'll do this instead. Like, yeah. I don't want to write an interpreter just for fun to see if I can do it, but I want to do it as a, and a text editor plugin or whatever. Um, so I'm going to do that. And that's a close enough approximation and I'll attempt it. And I'll know that I can go to this chapter as a resource. Like if I get yes. stuck. That's exactly um, that's that, the... that that would be the perfect mode of learning for me as in and just to stop a little bit on this part because you said uh, experience in school and now that you said it I think my problem with these exercises is that maybe it's because of school books and whatnot but whenever I read exercises or I guess I don't read them anymore I skip them but whenever I did read them it was always this feeling of you don't want the answer. You want me to know this specific thing that you try to get out of this question. It's, you know, there might even be a trick in there where, oh, you know, this reads like the answer is obviously this, but you wouldn't have put this as an exercise if it was this easy. So then I feel tricked. It's, mm -hmm. I don't know what it is. It might be because of school and my experience in school. I wasn't a great, I didn't get good grades. But everybody told me, not everybody, but a few teachers told me, you're pretty smart. You should have gotten better grades if you weren't, you know, so lazy whatsoever. But to me, it always felt a little bit off. So my perfect mode of learning is exactly what you said. It's, for example, right now I'm interested in 
I have this itch to really understand how terminals work. Like I know just enough right now. Mm -hmm. I know the syscall, the open TTY. I know about the file descriptors. I know roughly what's going on, but I don't really know how it works. So my perfect mode of learning this would be somebody gives me say, whatever, 60, 80 pages, something. Here's, here's how to build a terminal emulator. And I would read this, but you know, not retain all of it. And then I would go and try to build my own, you know, fully assured, you know, I didn't have to pass a test. Now it's all on my own. I can do whatever I want. I'm going to write a terminal emulator. And when I get stuck, I can always go back and consult the book, which is what I would do, you know, after the first page of code, immediately go back and look up, what did I do here? And then it would start for me where I would, you know, put the pieces together and actually understand it. I was but hoping it's... you were going to say you would get a vintage teletype and start yeah. with that and try to make that work. <laughs> yeah, that all, yeah, that's also a good point, right? This, not to go on a tangent here, but I think this, um, um, especially with technology, a, a super interesting path. Or what I always try to do is strip away all of the, the modern stuff or say the fluff. And try to see what's the basic thing here. What's the what's the purest abstraction, the purest mental model of problem solution, and then build up and see. Oh, so that's why they added this. That's why they added this. So, so have you been you've been working on a terminal emulator, but ghosty, right? A little bit. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, hacking a little bit. Hacking yeah. a little bit. Okay, but yeah. it was enough to say like, okay, I want to keep going deeper in this area. Yeah. So. So Ghosty is this terminal that Mitchell uh, Hashimoto built and it's cross-platform and he built the whole thing from scratch in Zig. And I was, I was just hooked by how different it was from what I usually do. I mean, you know, I usually do or did for the last years, developer tools and systems program whatsoever. But I've never done any native development. I've never done a Swift app. I've never done a, you know, GTK app, nothing like this. So then when he asked me what I want to try it out, you know, I used it for the first time and I I needed this. It's called the non-native full screen in macOS, which is I think, I don't know, from an older macOS version where the dark hides and whatsoever. And I said, I need this. And, you know, then I thought, there's no expectations. I can maybe take a stab at this, you know, maybe I can boot up Xcode and see if mm -hmm. I can write some Swift and whatnot. And that's when I started to do this, but I never, I then added some more fixes and did some stuff on the GTK side, like splits in GTK and the, in the Linux version. But, um, I never got down to the core, the actual you know, control characters and whatsoever. That's, you know, I, I kind of, again, I roughly know what's going on, but it's now this, my mini map of knowledge, you know, there's like these black circles yeah. and it would feel so satisfying to just go over there and also uncover those and see, you know, that's what happens. And now that I work on Zed, the, the text editor has a built-in terminal, but it uses... Uh, because it's written in Rust, it uses Alacrity, which is also terminal emulator. And that's written in Rust. And we were getting 
panic reports, pa crashes from users because bad file descriptor, the open TTY syscall produced a file descriptor that was then invalid when you wanted to poll on it. And so I read through the code and realized, oh, okay, open TTY. So that's how you do this. And then you spawn the shell and you connect it to this. But, you know, just enough so that I'm now thinking, I kind of know where to look, but I don't know how it fits together. And that to me is this, the sweetest spot where yeah. you, where you could sit down and you know exactly where to look and what to, what to Google and what to search for and what to piece together. Well, Oz, you always talk about this where, uh, explore your curiosity on these bug reports and these, you know, mm -hmm. going through century and like actually, you know, not just automatically muting everything and seeing if something looks interesting. And that's this amazing opportunity at work to learn. So that's cool that you, uh, you know, have this itch, itch and it's already something that's like cropping up in your workspace. That's amazing. Every yeah. bug is a gift. Every bug is a gift. Yeah. I, I, not I all of them, but. <laughs> <laughs> but like selfishly, as someone who's trying to learn something, every bug is a motivating example, right? It's like an opportunity to say, hey, yeah. I was wrong about something. We were wrong about something. Let's like get to a better understanding. Now, obviously, under the pressures of work, you know, you only have so much time, you're stressed, whatever. It's a shame that we don't have the ability yeah. to pursue that opportunity. But like, at least like, I mean, I, I wouldn't say it like that unless it was a little bit wrong, but yeah. there is something there. Like it, it is true that if you could modify your mentality a little bit to not get so stressed about the bug and say, Hey, this is, this is great because if everything was going well, I would have fewer opportunities to learn about this. Now I have this really specific, yes, um, motivating problem. Yeah. Uh, and it's an opportunity for me to learn. <laughs> Not easy necessarily to switch your mindset to that, but like people like Mitchell, I feel like yeah. are very good at this, where it's like this now, this thing is slow, fantastic. I get an opportunity to figure out how to optimize this thing. If I were doing yeah. that in the abstract, I wouldn't care so much. But right now I'm trying to make this thing right now fast. I'm trying to fix this bug right now. Uh, that like software engineers who can foster that mentality, I feel like are constantly learning no matter the context, like the task can be easy or hard or whatever. Uh, some people will ignore a bug. Some people will like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I feel like I love bugs. I love bugs because it's such a binary thing. You either fixed it or you didn't, mm. you know, what I don't like is greenfield. Hey, you know, what can we do next? What's the next, you know, I don't like that because it's so arbitrary. You have to come up with things. You have to test stuff. A bug is, here's the bug report. This does not work. Make it work. It's the ultimate puzzle. So I've been now at Zed for five weeks and for the last five, six weeks. And I just hop on bugs because it's such a good way to learn too, where you not only understand how the system works, but trying to reproduce it, right? That's the first thing. But also then you jump around the code base, trying to figure out where does it come from. But then you also have different bugs. So you jump to through different parts of the code base. And you also see which code was written by whom and why and when and how you get some historical perspective too in the code base. So I, you know, I actually really like doing this. It's I think the most the problem or the downsides that I can think of is there's some bugs that 
upon closer inspection turn out to not be bugs and then you end up with what should we do you know what what's the what's the desired behavior here is this our bug is this a user bug do we have to accommodate for them can we even fix this does this happen again just brush it under the you know brush it aside and the second thing is you know Mitchell for example he has this you know I guess I don't know I don't know I don't know how his inner life works here but I think um sometimes you're faced with bugs where I go into this mode of I can invest time to fully understand what's going on where you you feel the clock ticking and you go I spent four hours on this like you said pressure of work I need to put a bandaid on and you start to feel bad about this because you know there could be a good way to solve this um and then it's all these mind games like will I ever fix this puzzle will I ever figure out the right solution can I do the proper solution or do I put a solution on even though I don't fully understand it um but yeah in general it would be nice if somebody were to create say you know learning resource and it's just debugging you know every chapter is about That's here cool. fix this it would be a tremendous amount of work but you know say say you have um i don't know you have a terminal emulator and you put bugs in it and then you ask people hey when i type this this happens it shouldn't it shouldn't crash like this you can start with crashes you know stuff like this why is this nil and then Bit I've definitely bit. seen the failing unit test approach. Yeah. yeah which is yeah. nice. Uh, and you get that sense of progress and things. I, I wanted to jump on uh, the comment about Greenfield and things like that. I sort of feel mm -hmm. like I hear from a lot of programmers that they don't want to just be ticket takers and it yeah. feel like an automaton in some sense. And they want to be shaping the product in some way, uh, which of course, like you can find different ways to do that. But is that how does that play out in terms of if you were given a project where it's like, hey, we need to build this new feature, you need to dive into that, and there's all this customer discovery? Mm -hmm. Do you, you know, how what's your reaction to that in terms of how you orient your work life? It's an eternal struggle yeah. in that I think, you know, if if, if you would leave aside career prospects titles roles whatever all of this maybe this is maybe this is wrong but I, I I guess if you leave all of this aside and just think about the moment uh, I would be happy just fixing bugs because it's so interesting and so satisfying and for some bugs you can really pull out the big guns with your debugging tools and go mm -hmm. crazy and it's just it's nice engineering it's I I like this I like fixing things I like making things more efficient i like making things more you know better i like making nice things and that's you know why i don't prefer greenfield projects but in my career so far i also worked on a lot of these greenfield projects and i'm also relatively good at it at at shipping an mvp or sh building the thing that customer wants i have a lot of customer empathy and yeah. and building the thing that actually you know I don't have this uh engineering say I don't want to say disease but you know this building something that actually doesn't solve a problem 
I don't have this when it's not for my own curiosity. I get demotivated super quickly when I build something that nobody uses. It's that's the worst to me, yeah. which again, a bug is has validation that somebody uses it, right? Otherwise it wouldn't be a bug. I, can I say something about this as well that I've been thinking about? I, I think that the um, the distinction between maintenance and creation from scratch is pretty arbitrary. And the people who are, are good at maintaining existing systems are thoughtful about how systems should be designed in the first place. It's like, let's say you spend the first 10 years of your career doing the implementation work behind someone else's API. Like you've inherited an API and, and you need to maintain it for compatibility. Uh, but you, you know, you work behind it, like constantly, if you're thoughtful about it, despite the fact that you're doing maintenance work, bug fixes, whatever behind the API, you're thinking about what the API has cost you, like the impact of mm -hmm. the API on the implementation. And so when you go and design an API, you're in a better position than someone who like specializes whatever in designing the API, like you're, you're thoughtful about this thing. And to me, it yeah. connects with the concept of being an engineer. Like we call ourselves software engineers. We should think of what it means to be an engineer. An engineer is literally someone who works with an engine, at least originally, right? It's like this, the person who is running, maintaining the engine. Yeah. Uh, like, that, you know, imagine tinkering with a car engine. It's like you didn't necessarily build it. But over time, engineers did build the next engine. <laughs> like engineers, the people who are maintaining the engines are building the next engine because they're the ones who are intimately aware of how the old one was breaking. To me, in software, React is such a good example of this. It's like you can have one state management bug after another and think of them as isolated things and say, hey, I fixed this. Like... It was showing 300 messages in the counts, but when you clicked in it, it was only showing 200 messages or whatever. Mm -hmm. How do we get this state mismatch? Okay, we fix this. Then you have another problem with another state management issue. Like at some point, if you're thoughtful about it, you say, we are having state management issues, not we are having 100 message count issues. And you, and you like step aside and say, well, what if we um, reconsidered how we actually declare our... Yeah rendering of state like that's a very fundamental uh really innovation i would say in how people started developing their their front-end code and um yeah, yeah at least innovation in the context of javascript right and and that was <laughs> yeah. through kind of bug, bug fixing like thoughtful bug fixing led to a new new design like that is engineering in my mind like not just fixing the bugs but like eradicating them through fundamental design improvements I agree. I, I think that's a really interesting thought um, because I think just to add another tie thought to this, um, innovation in my experience doesn't look like innovation from up close. It just often looks like marginal improvements step function is something you make something slightly better more efficient and you accumulate these little steps and then suddenly look you know we made our computer one millimeter thinner and then 10 years later look you know you can now carry it around with you and it runs the whole day or something like this and i think there's this lure of oh it's greenfield it's new we can do anything we want and that's where the innovation is because, you know, 
an empty room and the light bulb goes on. There's the big idea. That's innovation. But like you said, to me, the engineering aspect is building something that's fit to a purpose and to the requirements with the correct trade-offs. And you won't get it right on the first attempt. So you have to kind of optimize and tweak and make it more efficient and polish here and there and move something around or even take a step back and, like you said, say, this whole part doesn't work. Like it just, you know, listen to this. Like that's not a good sound. It shouldn't make this sound. We have to take this part out. And then you sw switch that part out and suddenly it looks like you invented a whole new thing, but it came from the steady analysis or the steady, you know, putting your ear to the thing and tweaking it slightly and understanding it, learning with it. Um, yeah, I don't know, I'm rambling, but it's just, yeah, yeah, it's, no, it's, it's, it's- The word that's coming to mind for me is integration. It's this integration of maintenance with understanding that mm -hmm. fits, that seems to actually allow you to sort of have these informed decisions, which is a, a nice way to think about yeah. one's career mindset. I had kind of a, I don't know if this is like a fluffier question, Torsten, but it, you know, I, I recently went through a job search. I know you just switched yeah. jobs and things like that. And uh, my observation of you on Twitter and with, uh, with Register Spill, your newsletter, I get the sense that you love being a software engineer. And, yeah. and like, I imagine if you could write this book, I know there's the joy of cooking for cooking. I could see you doing the, like the joy of programming. I don't know if that I exists. Hope it's nice. uh, but that's my, that's my perspective. And I, I'm just curious if that resonates with you. I sort of, I personally sort of feel very lucky to have found myself yeah. into this career, but what is, uh, you know, as you view the next X years of your career and life, like is that love of programming seems to me from the outside to be a big piece of how you think about, you know, what you're working on. Yeah, that's, uh, you're trying to get me to not shut up for 30 minutes, right? <laughs> um, no, please go I ahead. Think, I think, yeah, I, I do love it. You know, I, I, I love it. And it's, let me order my thoughts here, but, um, I was talking with a friend two days ago, actually about this. And he said, man, you know, I had a conversation with him a couple of months back and he's an engineering manager. He was a software engineer before. And then he read one of my newsletters and he said, man, I think you kind of sparked the joy in me again for uh, technology or developing stuff. And then he was talking about, you know, oh yeah, yeah, this would be this and this would be that. And, but then he had this thing telling him, yeah, but that's, I also want to do this and I also want to do that. And I said, yeah, you know, I don't have that. I like to do this. I really mm -hmm. I like to get better at this. I like learning about its history. I like talking to other engineers. You know, this is a good Friday evening for me, having this conversation, you know? Um, and that's just, now looking back when people say to me at work, you know, you motivate the team or you bring the team together or you get others fired up. I always thought that's weird because doesn't everybody, you know, feel this like, hmm. What? And then I realize it's the way I talk about things or the joy I spread or whatsoever. And to me, again, I said, I don't have ordered thoughts, but I like sitting in front of a computer. I like working with computers. I like 
having a good computer. I like, I, I think it's mind blowing that I can talk to you, one in Australia, one in the US yeah. on a Friday evening through computers. Yeah. And it, that, that na magic never went away for me. Sometimes I get this little blip where I sit in front of a computer on a Thursday afternoon at 3 p.m. And, you know, it's like a lens flips down in front of me and I can see, oh, so maybe this is how others see this. They see this as I just sit in front of a screen and type characters into a text editor. But for me, that's not it. For me, it's look at the color scheme. Look at this language here. Look at what this other person that I'm working with, their micro decisions. Look at how they debug things. Why did they formulate the Git commit message this way? Why did they notice? I bet they learn it like, you know, something mm -hmm. like this. It's endlessly fascinating to me. And I don't know, like that's, that's, I realized last year I became, I became a manager, engineering manager, and it was, I wouldn't say out of boredom, but it, out of necessity, one thing we didn't have an engineering manager, but then I thought, you know, should I become an engineering manager? Should I not? And somebody said, um, why not? You know, now's the best time to try it out. And I thought, yeah, it is. Um, because, you know, the company trusts me, Sourcegraph. I have, you know, I know everybody there. I like everybody there. They trust me to do this. I don't go and search a different job and say, I want to start as an engineering manager without ever having done it before. So everything was aligned. And then I always thought, but isn't there more? Like, don't I have to learn more? Don't I have to learn more? But over the past few years, people would say, you know, Torsten, you're the, you're the senior guy now. You're the staff engineer now. You have to teach the others. They look up to you, you know. Mm -hmm. And then somebody said, man, like, there's not much else left. You pretty much got it figured out. You know, you can switch to management and, you know, there's nothing else. And over the next, what is it, 10 months or something, I realized, no, like there's this whole world. There's so many worlds still out there that I haven't explored, you know, GPU based programming, native programming, not even never touched games programming, not didn't even come close to this, you know, the financial stuff, all of this. And it's still fascinating. It's like, you know, you're, you're done playing your game and then somebody else says, here's the expansion packs. Now you can go and do this. So now I'm at Zed and it's, native app, high performance, GPU accelerated. And I'm walking around like a kid in a candy shop yeah. thinking, I get to explore this code base with really good programmers and talk to them all day long. And they explain to me how they think about problems. And I get to be the dumb guy again and ask all of these questions, you know? Yeah. I don't want to say because it's recorded, but sometimes I think, should I pay them, you know? like Yeah, yeah. They are, yeah. Uh if the founders listen this far, I, I'm sure they'll have yeah. a chuckle with that. Yeah. 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 But I don't know. I don't know. I, this only dawned on me in the last few years where people would say this, or you would see people fall away that started with me 10 years ago. I met them at conferences. They also started programming and I, I don't want to say they dropped off like flies, but they, you know, kind of lost interest after five, six years and they stopped learning new things. They, you know, became a manager or did something else or are still doing the same thing. And then I realized, no, if you just keep going, there's this whole other thing that you can breach through. And now 
you know, you're a senior engineer, you've done a lot of things, you've done a lot of things many times. So you have these muscles all trained. So now you get to actually use those muscles and use them in different contexts. And then you have this whole meta game going on where you think, well, I solved this problem five times before, but now I'm at a new company. Look how they solve it. What mm. are the trade-offs here? How does this compare? Yeah. Um, so all of that is to say, yes, I do love this. I do love mm -hmm. this very much. I find it endlessly fascinating. Um, I can talk about it all day. Yeah, yeah I, I I love that view of you on Thursday afternoon, like over your shoulder. I I I'm imagining. I don't know if you played Mario 64, but there's that little yeah. Lakitu guy with the little camera hanging down. Who's yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a video game Oz. Um, and uh, yeah, Oz Oz not a not a gamer. I also stopped in like 1996, but he's following and panning around, and sometimes you see him. I use this when I'm on a long run, and I sort of say, okay, imagine you're you're Mario and you're like the Lakitu guy going and that helps me get into flow. But I think in your case, what's missing from that is it looks like Torsten's just staring at a screen, maybe occasionally moving his yeah. fingers and you're not seeing that sort of mind meld flow thing. That's another thing Oz and I are always talking about that the concept of flow and finding that flow. Um, so yeah, it's, a, it, I, I feel the same way. And I also was an engineering manager at my last company. I sort of evolved into that and I've now moved back more towards mm -hmm. hands on the machine. And it just, uh, I'm already feeling the joy of that again. So, uh, it's, yeah, nice. it's important. Yeah. And I guess, Charlie, I don't know. Sorry. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's my age in that, you know, I grew up with the internet and you can see you know, you can see it start to take, like you can see all of these dreams actually happening where when I was, you know, when a friend and I, we were 14, 15, and we would think oh, it would be nice to have internet access here, you know, something like this. And now it's everywhere. Yeah. You have it on your phone. And now when I, I sit in meetings and there's 10 people editing the same Google Doc and you see the curses move around and there's people sitting in India, sitting in the U S sitting in Germany, Australia, that's mind blowing. Like, how can you not find this magical that this is possible that this works this well? Um, well, maybe you had to go through that evolution and I, I know you had yeah, 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 maybe. Yeah. 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 I, Cause I was thinking about this with video games. Cause I still, in this room, I have my original Nintendo and then super Nintendo and N64. And I had this very dumb idea where, where I was thinking, oh, I'm going to introduce my kids to video games in order. So I'll give them a Nint regular Nintendo. Mm -hmm, and then mm -hmm, two years mm -hmm. later, I'll say, we got this new thing. It's super Nintendo. Look at the graphic. And of course that'll never work, but I don't know. And then yeah. this is just the, the, the bad side of nostalgia, um, coming to, coming to bite me. And I guess, you know, the other thing I do like writing, I've always been, always, I've been a long time reader, read a lot as a kid. And reading to me is also something magical in that you can teleport yourself into someone's head, right? You, you write something, they sit down, they lie down on their bed and they read what you wrote and you have a communication with them through space and time, right? You could have written it 100 years ago or 200 years ago. And that is a fascination. Writing is a fascination. And look at programming, you know, where people say the abstraction is the machine, you know, like the code describes the actual thing. It's not just the 
it is the thing, you know, the idea is the thing. There's no other thing. The ideas that you encode in text, that's the thing. Like all of these, you know, meta thoughts, these abstract thoughts combined with writing, with sitting there, thinking, communicating with others, having a machine executed and ex the machine basically testing your understanding of what you put into words. You know, that's... I don't know. It's nice. It's really yeah. stimulating. And the last thing, and then I'll shut up. But the last thing is I noticed um, when I started to pick up programming again, I programmed as a teenager, then I stopped and tried to become a musician and play guitar. And I would say I did have a knack for guitar or I got compliments and whatnot. But when I then went back to computers and started programming again, I realized I can practice programming all day long. I can practice sitting in front of the computer and doing something with the computer all day long. I don't like practicing the guitar, mm -hmm. but sitting in front of the computer and trying to figure out why this does not work, this app, I can do this for eight hours. <laughs> like I, it's, it's not an issue to me. It's not a that You don't need to motivate me. Even if yeah. you give me the buck and say, why doesn't this start up? Can you figure this out? I will have all the motivation I need. And then I realized, um, maybe this is my poison, you know, maybe this is the thing that I should do because I do enjoy getting better at it. And I don't mind the practice. And I think Jerry Seinfeld had a line on the Tim Ferriss podcast, I wish I could quote it, but he said something along the lines of um, everybody, you know, has their own poison or their own pain that they can endure. And you have to find the thing that you can endure. And for comedians, you know, in his case, I think it's writing is hard, going on stage is hard, bombing is hard, not having a bit that works. But if you found this to be your poison, then you're hooked and then you try and get better at it. And for me, it's, you know, sitting in front of computers and trying to get better at programming. Yeah. So to what degree do you think that this is encoded in a person? Like, are they born with it? Do they develop it at five? Is it a function of their first work experience or something? Like to what degree is it malleable? Do you think? I, I think now having, you know, I have a six and a two-year-old, um, I do think there's something that you're born with in that my older daughter, for example, she has no interest in, in figuring out how stuff works. Like you can, you can install, I, we installed the AC in her room and she didn't notice. She's like, oh yeah, there's another thing. My friend's son, he came by and he's like, what is this? Where where does this wire lead? Let's go outside. I want to check this. How does this work? So what does this do? Where does it do that? Where does this come from? Why does it only do this? He's the guy who t picks up the remote control and, oh, I got it figured out. And that was me as a kid. This, you know, I back then they would sit me in front of a computer with Windows 3.1 or DOS or whatever. And you just, what, type like, oh, here, look, I can change the prompt in MS-DOS and just sit all day there and try and figure out how this works. So I would take my toys apart and see whether I can, you know. 
Um, and I don't, I don't know where that comes from. I don't know, but I do know that, you know, my parents encouraged me. Yes, please use the computer. They didn't encourage me to get a video console. They always said no video consoles in the house, but you can use the computer. And then I realized that you can get games on the computer. Yeah, well, that too. <laughs> but also realize early on, I realized that this is a level playing field because I'm eight years old and my parents asked me for advice on how to do something with the computer. And you realize, oh, you know, I can get better on my own with this. And then it's just, you know, went from there. But I don't know. I would say you have something, but that's, I think that one thing is your unique perspective on it. And I think mm -hmm. that can be different for a lot of people. I think, um, there's some fantastic programmers who have a completely different, different view on programming and computers than I have. And they wouldn't, you know, for me, a good Sunday morning would be to tweak my dot files, whatever. I, I like that, you know, or setting up a Linux machine or Raspberry Pi or whatever. For others, absolutely not. They don't care about any of this. They don't have a fascination with that. They do have a different fascination, which is abstract thought, math, whatever. Um, so this bit is interchangeable, but then I think apart from that, you have to kind of put things within reach for that thing to hold onto. And for me, it was computers and the rise of the internet and the excitement, you know, like the, the late nineties, you know, every four weeks, there was a new faster CPU coming out, you know, TV commercials for the new Pentium three, whatever. Um, this is why so the matrix said the, they picked 1999 as the optimal mm -hmm. time for humanity. And that's why they were looping in that, in that time, I believe. Do they say that in a movie? Yeah. I'm pretty sure. I, I, you know, I certainly 20 years later when the robots took over, that probably wouldn't have been ideal to be running yeah. in the simulation gang. I gotta, I gotta run. Um, no worries. Uh, but this was amazing. Torsten, we'd love to have you back on. I feel like I want to pick your brain on, uh, Oz and I have been mulling over some things around like what a Stripe press for kids would look like. Again, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, I think that'd be really fun, but this was great. Cool. Yeah, Thank this you. was this was a lot of fun, man. I could have talked for longer than this. I appreciate okay. it. We'll be back. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Right. Thanks, guys.